This is the Darcy Drill Podcast, episode number eight. Today, my guest is Franco Terrazano. He's the national director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We'll be talking about Canada's debt problem and its impact on taxation. Franco Terrazano, welcome to the Darcy Drill podcast. How are things? Man, things are great. Uh, it's It's been a long time since you and I have had a chance to sit down and have a conversation. Unfortunately, it's not in person, right? Because I'm no longer in Calgary, but man, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great to see you. We definitely miss you in Calgary. Um, so first off, let's have you introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us a bit about the Canadian Taxpayers Federation what its mandate is, and maybe comment on a couple of your current campaigns. Well, first, man, thanks so much for having me on and letting me speak to your audience. I am the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We're a nonprofit, nonpartisan, scrappy advocacy organization that's been around for about 30 years. We've been around for longer than I've actually than I've been around. Uh, and and we're fighting for for three, I would say, simple, but I think very important ideals. And it's lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I mean, Darcy, like, there's so many Canadians that are working so hard right now just to put food on their table, and the government is taking so much money away through overtaxation and spending it left, right, and center on things that Canadians don't need. You know, one one funny little example of the waste that we deal with is that the federal government spent eight thousand dollars on a sex toy show. In Germany now, Darcy, maybe maybe I'm a little old-fashioned, uh, but I think that if the Germans want to have their sex toy shows, they can fund it themselves. You know what I mean? They don't need Canadian taxpayers' money. So that's the kind of stuff that we uh, that we tackle. We're a watchdog. We're constantly digging, uh, getting FOIs, Freedom of Information requests, to look at all the crazy ways the governments are spending our money. Uh, you asked me to kind of go into one of the. Uh, campaigns that we've been working on. Well, this has been about a 30-year campaign in the making, and, and it's our national debt clock. I just finished up a national debt clock tour. I was on the road for about seven weeks going coast to coast, started in Victoria, went all the way to Halifax, and it's just this huge clock, this huge digital clock on the side of a big moving truck, and it shows the Trudeau government's debt going up in real time. So it shows the $1 trillion debt increasing by about 1600 bucks every single second. Now, Darcy, it was a brand new debt clock. And I say it's brand new because the Trudeau government broke the last one. <laughs> so, so get this. We've been, we've been pulling a form of the debt clock across the, the country for, for nearly 30 years. Uh, but we made one big mistake about 30 years ago, and that's we underestimated just how good politicians are at spending other people's money. <laughs> so just to tie a bow on that joke, we had to get a new debt clock because the old one didn't have enough digits to show the government's full $1 trillion debt. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, well, my first introduction to the CTF uh, was the debt clock. I forget exactly where I was when I saw it, but it, it really did blow me away. And that probably was 20 years ago. Um, now the debt is increasing by like right now it's increasing by what seems like thousands of dollars per second. And I think the the number is $6 million. Uh, is it 6 million per day? Is that what the number is? 
<laughs> I wish. I wish it was six million a day. No, no, no. It's like it's like sixteen hundred bucks a second. Um, and if I can remember off the top of my head, it's like close to now. It's over six million per hour. I actually set you up there for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like over a hundred million dollars a day is yeah. what the debt's going up by. Um, and you know, by the end of this year, the Trudeau government will have essentially doubled the entire federal debt since it's been in office. So in the span of less than a decade, you're seeing the government double the debt that it essentially took 150 years of governments to add on to. So it's really an astonishing feat <laughs> that this government is doing. You know, it kind of reminds me of like the Ron Burgundy part of of uh, Anchorman when he comes home and he's like, oh, you, yeah, you ate all the cheese and you pooped in the fridge. <laughs> That's impressive. You know, like if it wasn't so unfair and crushing to taxpayers in future generations, I think that would be a pretty good response. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, let's get into that a bit. Can you explain uh, why, you know, why the CTF wants Canadians to pay attention to the government debt and what the implications of that debt has on the average Canadian today? Uh, but, you know, I think more importantly, we're looking at Canadians in the future. Yeah, well, okay, let's get into let's get into it. I'm going to give you three broad reasons and we can kind of unpack them. I know we'll unpack some of the cost of living stuff, but let me just give you three ones off the top, okay? Number 1 is that it really is a pocketbook issue. It's about the cost of living. Um and Darcy, I mean, you know, you're right in Calgary, you're right in the heart of the pain where you've had so many Canadians who have struggled so mightily for 6 plus years, especially in Calgary and Alberta. And um this inflation is is really tough for people who are already having a tough time making ends meet, right? And, and the debt, we have to remember that one way or another, it has to come from taxpayers' pockets, whether that's through taxes today, taxes plus interest tomorrow, or inflation. And we'll get into this, I know, a little bit later, but you have the federal government's debt directly influencing the inflation that we're feeling today. So number one, why you should care about the debt is because it is a cost of living issue and it does have to be paid by taxpayers. Number two is the interest charges. Every single month, taxpayers are paying more than $2 billion just to cover the interest charges on the federal government's credit card bills. Now, Darcy, I know that you're going to have guests on the show who talk about what the government should be funding, what the government shouldn't be funding. I know you're going to have that, that fun philosophical debate. But regardless of where you stand, I think you would prefer to have quality government services or quality services in general rather than be sending $2 billion plus every single month to the bond fund managers on Bay Street just to cover the government's interest charges, right? It's 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 about efficient use of resources and sending these this money to bankers in, on Bay Street to me doesn't really seem like an efficient use of our money. Uh, number three, you brought it up, but it's the impact of future generations, man. Right now, each Canadian is already on the hook for more than $30,000 in federal debt. Well, on the current trajectory, we're not going to see a balanced budget until 2070. So if that were to happen, the debt per person would reach $67,000 just federally. So think of the tab that this government is leaving to future generations. And Darcy, I know uh, you're, you you just had a, a baby and, 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 you know, I know that so many parents think about, well, what type of future success are they leaving to their kids and their grandkids 
And it seems like we're really hammering future generations with this massive tax bill that will eventually have to be paid back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems like, a, you know, it's been a long time since Canadians have seen their elected representatives take the debt problem seriously. Now, you're in Ottawa. Do you see any uh, political will to tackle the debt, you know, in the circles you run in? A little bit. But so there's two questions there. Let me just start with the first one and and why politicians uh, don't seem to or don't want to address the one trillion dollar elephant in the room, which, of course, is the federal debt. Uh, Guess what? It's easier to cut ribbons, smile for the camera than it is to actually roll up your sleeves and make some tough decisions and uh, piss off some interest groups. Right. Like that is real political pain. Um, Let's look at all these governments across Canada, not just the federal government, but let's look at labor costs. Labor costs make up a huge portion of every government's budget, a huge portion. Well, it's pretty hard to go toe to toe with a government union boss when they're going to, you know, light their hair on fire, even if you even if you just freeze wages for a long time. Right. So they're going to be hit with a lot of political damage. So it's so much easier just to, you know, hold the press conference with your shovels in the ground, cut a ribbon than it is to actually do what needs to be done, which is which is make some tough decisions. Um, But the problem with that, and this is what the CTF is always talking about, is that either you make some tough decisions today or you have tougher decisions that are going to be forced on you down the road, right? We saw this in the 80s and the early 90s where you had these politicians that kept kicking the deficit can down the road, down the road, down the road. Then what happened in the 90s? Well, politicians at every level of government and across every political divide, they had to do some really, really tough cuts for a lot of people, right? Like look at Saskatchewan. In the 90s, you saw an NDP government shut down 50 hospitals in a relatively small, right, prairie province. Well, those are the types of decisions that you're going to have to make if you're not willing to even roll up your sleeves right now. Okay, so that's to answer your first question. The second question is, I'm seeing zero political will uh, from the the Trudeau government. Between me and you (laughs) and your listeners, I don't think they'll ever balance the budget. Uh, but we are seeing some political will come up in this conservative party leadership race. Uh, almost every one of these candidates, um, are talking about making cuts, balancing the budget, reducing the debt. You just had Patrick Brown and Pierre Polyev. They're asked, what do they think is the biggest threat facing Canada? And both of those candidates said the debt. So it looks like there's some people within that one party that are very concerned uh, about this issue. And, I, and I'm sure there's some in other parties that are as well, but just aren't speaking out as much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, right now, the hot topic is inflation. I just did an episode the other day on uh, Pierre Polyev, his position on central banking, uh, which, you know, I support. Um, but I think there's a lot more to unpack with the inflation problem than what I covered the other day. Can you explain to the listeners how government debt contributes to inflation? And I guess I'm looking for a kind of mechanical explanation on how it works. Well, it does depending on how the government is financing its deficits. And what we've seen during the pandemic, which is so different 
than like normal years, if we can call it that, is that you've had the government using the printing press, the central bank, the Bank of Canada, essentially financing a good chunk of its deficits. Okay, so during the pandemic, you saw the Bank of Canada print about $350 billion out of thin air. And it does that by purchasing financial assets like Government of Canada debt. Okay, so you essentially have the Bank of Canada that printed $350 billion out of thin air, uh, much of it going to buy these Government of Canada bonds, which is just government debt. And how does it buy these government bonds? By essentially printing dollars right out of thin air. And this is what is really driving inflation, okay? Because the more dollars that the central bank prints, the less that your dollars in your bank account or your savings account will buy. So the problem is, is that you can't just print farmland out of thin air. You can't just print homes out of thin air. You can't just print used cars out of thin air, but you have the central bank, boop, hitting a keyboard and printing dollars out of thin air. Now, let me tie this back into the deficits. Okay, so let's look at the previous budget, budget 2021. I think it was released on April 19th of 2021. The, the finance minister, Christia Freeland, said she was going to run a deficit of about $3 billion every week. Two days later, the central bank puts out a press release saying that it's going to be purchasing about $3 billion worth of government bonds each week. I don't know about you, Darcy, but it sure that sure seems to me like you've got Ottawa financing a good chunk of its deficits using the printing press, or you have Ottawa financing a good chunk of its deficits by devaluing the dollars that we all hold in our bank accounts, and that is the printing press, and that is how all this pandemic government debt is really driving the inflation that we see right now. Uh, you know, when people see prices rising, like consumer prices rising, there is this belief that it is either just you know, the natural progress of things, or that it's greedy corporations uh, gouging people. Uh, but once you understand inflation, like how you just described it, it sounds a lot more like a tax. And now I assume that the CTF considers inflation a tax. And it is the inflation tax, yeah. Darcy. Sorry for cutting you off, but I have to. Uh, okay, what, what is a tax? Government bringing in revenue, right, is the one aspect of the tax. Well, how is the government financing its spending? Well, it's selling bonds. Uh, okay, this is a bit of a roundabout way, but just to stay super high level, you're essentially having the Bank of Canada purchasing government bonds, which allows the federal government to to to, to get revenue, right, to, to, to finance its spending, essentially. Okay, so that's one aspect of a tax. But then the second aspect of a tax, like a sales tax, is that it drives up the cost of living, <laughs> Well, it's doing exactly that because the more dollars that it prints and drops into society, the less that our dollars buy. So so Darcy, uh, I think it fits the two essential uh, parts of the tax, right, of what a tax is. But here's the problem with inflation. Well, it's it's fundamentally anti-democratic. Uh, and I mean that in, in the way where it's it's fundamentally not transparent, right? Everyone knows when politicians raise a sales tax by a point. Everyone knows when a politician raises the income tax from like, I don't know, 10% to 11% to 12%. How many politicians even know how much money the Bank of Canada printed? Three, four, five, six? So there you go. So this is a fundamentally undemocratic type of tax. I'm sure in your podcast, you're going to be talking about Ludwig von Mises, right? The great Austrian economist. But this was the point that he always made, is that you, you get 
the printing press on overdrive when politicians don't believe that they can sell their spending to the public through taxation, where they think the public wouldn't be willing to pay the taxes to fund that level of spending. So that's why I say that an inflation tax is anti-democratic. Now, Darcy, just cut me off when you want me to cut off. I know I'm talking a lot, but I think let's address some of these uh, confusions, let's sure, say, within inflation. Sure, sure. No, I, I think that's a, a great way to go. And uh, and every, everything you're saying is exactly in line with what I was hoping for. So, yeah. Explain some of those, uh, explain some of the fallacies around inflation, maybe. Okay, so number one is, is oh, you know, it's, it's, it's this war or it's that war or it's a, a bad crop in, in, in Mexico. You know, maybe there was a, a bad frost in South America driving up the price of this or the price of that. Well, the thing that we have to understand is that there's supply issues all the time. Supply issues happen all the time. You might, you might read them in the news, right? You know, this refinery shut down, that refinery shut down, and it increases the price of that good that relies on that supply production process. But here's how you know that it is a monetary phenomenon. Because when a central bank is not using the printing press, you'll see some prices increase and some prices decrease. Why is that, Darcy? Let me simplify things. Let's say society is one person and that one person has a hundred dollar budget. Well, if the price of one thing goes from $50 to $60, you now only have $40 left to purchase the other good. So without the printing press being involved, what you would see if there were certain supply shocks is you would see the price of some goods rise, but you would see the price of other goods drop. So this general level of price inflation can only be due to the monetary phenomenon, which is essentially the printing press uh, devaluing our dollars, okay? The second thing that we have to address too is this notion that it's a global phenomenon, okay? Well, when other countries have their printing press on overdrive, when other countries are going to this fiscal insanity with these massive deficits, guess what? You get the same result, high inflation. But you're not seeing high inflation in every single country. Uh, the last I checked, and then maybe this is outdated by a few months, but Japan, Switzerland, relatively low inflation, right? So when you have countries doing these the, the same insane type of policies, you get the same insane type of results. Um, so what is different then? Okay, so what's different now than years past where you see certain supply shocks here and there? Well, what's different now is that you've had a printing press that has been on overdrive, $350 billion printed out of thin air, dropped into the economy. And number two is that you've had revolving government lockdowns, which hammer output, right? And guess what? Turning on an economy isn't like flicking on the, the, the light switch in the kitchen. Production takes time, okay? So you, what you've had is you've had the government create the perfect storm for inflation, which is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Bank of Canada has been uh, talking what they would call tough uh, on on inflation. They did raise the overnight rate to I think it's at one percent, uh, and we've seen commodity markets, real estate markets, the stock market all take a beating since that happened. Can you explain that? You know, it's tough for me to, I guess. Um, it, it really is tough for me to to do uh, for certain types of industries. But 
I mean, one of the things that we're going to have to really take a look at is essentially what's going to happen with the Bank of Canada's balance sheet, right? Like, how, like is it going to decrease? Is it going to stay the same? They, they say they're not going to continue purchasing uh, new assets, but I mean, let's let's wait and see what happens. Um, look, the, the central bank, the government is really between a rock and a hard place, right? And that's what happens um, after years of massive deficits, years of easy money and, and, and artificially low interest rates. Well, I so guess, it's in the, I guess the reason I bring it up is because it looks to me like a lot of malinvestment. Malinvestment. Okay. Right. So you want me to kind of explain how interest rates coordinate across time, right? So interest rates. <laughs> if, you, if you could do it in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if I can do it in 30 no, seconds, but essentially uh, interest rates are like a price, except interest rates are a very important price and they coordinate production and consumption decisions and patterns across time. Uh, right. So what an interest rate essentially does is say, hey, uh, there's this amount of level of savings to meet this amount of level of future consumption. And when you have governments artificially changing interest rates, you totally mess up the whole structure of production. Right. And that's the malinvestment that you're talking about. So when governments force interest rates low, well, you see these businesses, they're saying, well, hold on a second. I guess there's all these savings for me to provide future consumption with different types of production. And especially lower interest rates, what it does is it lengthens the structure of production because it makes those longer term production processes more profitable because interest rates really affect the profitability of those uh, long-term producing industries. So when you have governments messing around with that very important coordination price, which is the interest rates, you get all this type of uh, different types of malinvestment. So uh, when you prick the bubble, I guess that's that's essentially what happens. Now, I can't get into forecasting. I don't know which industries are, are, are impacted or exactly the nature of the malinvestment, mostly just because I'm not an expert in that area. Yeah, no, and I, I wouldn't expect you to, to comment on that. Um, but what would you say is the likely outcome if the debt and inflation aren't dealt with? Hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, well. And, and you can just answer from a taxation point of view, really. No, I mean, I'll answer from the only view that I, that I have. And it's, I think things will get worse if politicians continue to, to keep their head in the sand on this. Right. I, I think things will, will get worse. I mean, Look, I think this is the key issue facing Canadians. I really do. I mean, how, like, look at the gas prices, man. This is this is real life stuff for so many people. Like, I was at a gas station yesterday in Ottawa, two dollars and six cents a liter of regular gas. Man, that that's in the territory where people almost can't afford to go to to fuel up their car on the way to work. Now, I live in Ottawa. Um, I grew up in a small town, Port Hope. I remember my mom used to have to commit uh, com commit commute to Toronto, that's like an hour drive. Like people do have to do these hour long drives just to get to work, an hour long drive to get back, man. This is really hurting a lot of people. Not just that, I mean, like go to the grocery store, see what the price of ground beef is. Like this is really, really impacting people's lives. And what's so frustrating to take this into a little bit of a different direction is that on the one hand, you have these government policies that are absolutely ham, ham uh, hammering families, hammering Canadians. But then on the other hand, governments continue to fatten their own pockets, right? We've seen every single member of parliament take Darcy, not one, not two, but three pay raises during COVID-19. Okay. In total, 
you have a backbench member of parliament that is making $10,000 more than what they would have been making pre-COVID. You have Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who's making $20,000 more than what he was pre-COVID-19. So at the very same time that they raise the carbon tax, raise booze taxes, raise payroll taxes, have the printing press on overdrive, they continue to stuff their own pockets with bigger pay. And it's not just a symbolism thing, Darcy. Uh, what we are seeing is we're seeing these politicians who live in this bubble in Ottawa become completely financially detached from the people that they're supposed to represent. And when you have the politicians that are financially detached from the people they represent, you have them making these crazy uh, decisions that are completely out of touch. And they're out of touch because these politicians are out of touch with reality. Yeah, yeah, I would uh, agree with you 100% that they are. Uh, there is talk about governments uh, sending out inflation relief checks, which would obviously only make the inflation worse. Uh, so what can, but what can governments actually be doing right now to actually reduce the pain on inflation? And uh, I'm, think, I'm thinking again of maybe adjustments to direct taxation, but if you could comment on both those things, I would appreciate it. Well, the first one is just, how, how do you put a fire with gasoline? No, <laughs> yeah. I don't recommend it. Yeah, but that's what that would do. I mean, how are you going to finance that? No, but seriously, like, how are you going to finance that? They're not going to be bor like, which private borrower is going to give them even more money right now? No, what are they going to finance that with, right? The central bank or they're going to raise taxes to finance that. Um, so yeah, that would just be like dumping gasoline on a fire to try to put out the fire, you know, watch your eyebrows. Uh, but to your second question, well, what do we want to see? Okay, well, let's look at what some of the other countries are doing right now. It's actually quite astonishing the number of countries I, uh, that are providing tax relief to help cool off some of these higher prices. Uh, we saw South Korea reduce its gas tax by 20%. We saw India reduce its gas taxes as well. A bunch of Indian states and territories did the same thing. Italy cut fuel taxes. Uh, UK cut fuel taxes on like short flights. Uh, I believe Poland cut fuel taxes as well, maybe some other type of tax. You have Spain and France that cut electricity taxes. Uh, I mean, for heaven's sake, you even have President Joe Biden who is considering gas tax relief. So you have all these different countries that are considering tax relief, all while our fearless leaders in Ottawa continue to stick us with higher tax bills. So on the one hand, yeah, cut taxes. Um, on the other hand, and we can we can dive into this if you'd like, but cut spending. And it actually would be quite easy, relatively modest spending restraint for the federal government to balance its budget. Yeah, sure. I, I would like to talk about that because now correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems the only way to pull some of that money that's been printed out of the economy would be for the government to run a surplus and then for yeah. the, the Bank of Canada to take that money out of circulate, circulation, burn it, do whatever it is. Yeah, I don't think that's the only way. Like, um, but essentially, that is that is, I think, the 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 most likely way. And I say, and I laugh, but um, but you know, for your listeners, uh, Professor Robert Murphy um, was just on a podcast. Uh, I, I'm blanking on who he was on it with. Like, I know I should know who he was on it with, but it was called "How Inflation Ends." Um, so that would be a good one to point your listeners to. I just listened to it and he made the exact point that you were making that essentially the government would have to run the surplus and it would just go towards essentially removing the dollars from the, from the balance sheet. Um, so here's the thing though, 
it, it actually is a relatively easy for the federal government to balance its budget. All the federal government would have to do to balance its budget within two years, and the CTF, uh, we did this whole analysis on this. I presented to the Finance Committee on it. All the f government would have to do is go back to pre-pandemic levels of spending and even adjust it upward for inflation and population growth. And Darcy, here's why I say it's so modest. Pre-pandemic, in 2018-19, before COVID, before any cross-country recession, the federal government was spending all-time highs. Okay, even after accounting for inflation and population differences. So in 2018, the Trudeau government spent more money than the federal government did during any single year during World War II. Yeah. Okay, so with overspending like that, finding savings in every single area of the budget should be like finding water in the ocean. <laughs> all the government, <laughs> all the government would have to do to balance the budget is to bring spending down to pre-pandemic levels. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that. Uh... That is, it's crazy to think that's all they would have to do and how far away that reality might be. Yeah, because, and, and sorry to interrupt, but it's because the government is essentially using the cloud of COVID-19 to go on a debt-fueled spending binge. Mm -hmm. That's what this government is doing. I mean, look, they're talking about the, the $10 a day daycare. Right. You didn't have money for this before the pandemic. Now you think you have money for this. You just have these. What is it called? A, a, um, whatever. The agreement with the NDP. Well, how, how many hundreds of billions of dollars did the NDP want to spend in its last in its last election platform? Um, and, and on the daycare thing, uh, you know what? None of this is free. The government is not being honest with parents because how is the government going to end up paying for this? Well, it's just going to be end up sticking those kids who are in the daycare today with the tax bill down the road. And I think if the government was upfront and honest with parents, I don't think many parents would want that. Yeah, well, who knows? Some some sound like they like they do. They make the kid pay for his own daycare, right? Uh, anyway, Franco, I know you have somewhere you got to be. I this was this was really great. Thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, can you tell the listeners where they can follow you and? support yeah. you and the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Yeah. Well, hey, please, please check out the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, my colleagues do some amazing work and, and we're always uh, trying to fight for taxpayers. And, and I think the organization is especially important these days with this massive debt, crazy spending and, and out of control taxes. Uh, so yeah, checks out at taxpayer.com. You can follow us on Facebook. Very easy. Just search Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram as well. Again, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you like what I'm saying, you want to follow me as well. You can follow me at Franco underscore nomics on Twitter and Instagram as well. So hopefully I'll, I'll keep you guys all entertained there. That was Franco Terrazano from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You can check them out at taxpayer.com. You can follow myself, Darcy Giroux, on Twitter. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the Darcy Giroux podcast, subscribe on Substack. <laughs>